Okay, good morning everyone. It's great to be with you and to have this time to worship together and reflect on God's word together. I recently came across the work of Phoebe Caldwell, a British psychotherapist well known for many years of service among children on the autistic spectrum. And I was struck by her comments about a particular challenge that children with autism face. She says, part of the turbulence, the experience of many in the autistic spectrum is the sense of an unreliable and unpredictable environment, a habitat that is out of control. Within that, a dependable presence, a dependable other, capable of recognizing the rhythms of the autistic person and being consistently there for her becomes a healing and opening factor, allowing her to form a secure identity. The autistic child must feel like her speech is understood, her face is seen, and that she is recognized and read, not just reading the world around her. I don't know what you make of that, but I know that for myself, I find Caldwell's reflections ring true not only for those on the autistic spectrum, but for all of us. All of us as human beings seem to be every bit as in need of what she describes as this dependable other. And I think for all of us, much of the struggle of our lives concerns the search for something or someone to give us the recognition that she describes, to give us that sense of anchorage, to give us that sense of a secure identity. I wonder this morning, whom or what is your dependable other? Whom or what is your dependable other? For those of us who are Christians, we might think, oh, that's easy. God is my dependable other. He's the one in whom I find belonging and meaning. And it's so easy to talk about it like that. But I wonder if we're really honest with ourselves that many of us deep down might think that God is most probably the best person to depend on with our lives, but we don't quite have the confidence that we would like. There's always a restlessness bubbling under the surface as we're haunted by doubts as to whether we can truly entrust him with our lives and whether God can really be the answer to all our deepest desires and longings. So in the actual day-to-day, we find that we're constantly shuffling around between God and other persons and things, shifting directions in the search for a dependable presence. And what I find intriguing is how our public culture portrays this very search for a dependable other, both from the perspective of those who are Uh, Christians who have faith and those 
who don't. One show that came out recently is about a woman in her 20s who's restlessly searching for solutions to the emptiness that she feels in life, pursuing everything from work to friends, family, guinea pigs, and more than anything else to sexual intimacy with men. But everything she turns to ends up being a disappointment until one day she meets a celibate priest for whom she develops a romantic interest. This priest himself has his own restlessness that he's trying to sort out. He struggles with disenchantment and loneliness too. Until now, he's chosen God to fill that void. But as the priest and the girl gradually get to know each other, both question if they've turned to the right solutions. In the case of the girl, she questions if a romantic partner is really that dependable presence she's looking for. And in the case of the priest, he questions whether God can be that person that fulfills his desires and longings. And at one very poignant moment of the show, after the girl starts attending church, reading her Bible, volunteering at church, all to impress this priest, her therapist asks her an important question. Is it really the priest you desire or is it God? In other words, is it the priest and sexual intimacy with him that you think will fulfill your deepest desires and needs or is it intimacy with God? And this question kind of hangs over the show as the priest wrestles with the very same question, but in reverse. And slowly, each character moves closer to switching their dependable other for the others. The girl is haunted by God, and the priest is haunted by doubt. Neither is wholeheartedly committed to what they've chosen as the center of their lives. Both stand on the edge, fidgeting, frightened, that they might have chosen the wrong thing or the wrong person as their highest love. Another example for this search of a dependable other is found in Sally Rooney's latest novel, Beautiful World, Where Are You? Um, my housemate Nora, who's not here, has written an excellent article on this book. I highly recommend that you go and read it. Um, but this book is about two female friends longing for beauty and integration in their lives. And there comes a point when one of them is inspired by a Catholic friend, and she wonders if God might be a good option to putting at the center of her life. But although she's pulled to God, she says that she would rather standing, stand in a nowhere place, rather have no one at the center of her life. She says that she doesn't have enough conviction to depend on anything else besides herself. And this is what she expresses. She says, I have that resistance in me, that little hard kernel of something which I feel would not let me prostrate myself before God, even if I believed in him. In other words, 
I could not depend on him as my dependable presence even if I believed he was real and that he existed. And I think for many of us, it is the same challenge. What I think these examples capture so well is the profound fear that all of us have about making the wrong choice of a dependable other. And that when it comes to God, whether we're Christians or not, whether we're aware of it or not, there's a fierce resistance to putting him at the center of our lives and as the object of our ultimate dependency. We rather stand in that nowhere place, not giving ourselves to anyone or anything for dependence. In our journey through the first couple of chapters of Romans, we've seen that for Paul, sin and idolatry are very much about placing higher love and dependency on other things and other persons over God. And for Paul, there is no nowhere place. There is no neutral ground. Everyone has a dependable other. Either God is your dependable other or something or someone else is. And here in chapter 3, the passage that we read just now, this is the climax of his argument till now. And Paul emphatically declares that all Jews and Gentiles and us today are prone to going after anything and everything else for security and belonging instead of God. He says there is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. And there are two important aspects of this turning away from God that Paul wants his readers to pay special attention to. Firstly, Paul wants them to know that the core of the problem is not fearing God. There is no fear of God before their eyes, verse 18. But what does that mean? Is Paul saying that the Jews and Gentiles are not scared or afraid of God? We know that that can't be the case because other verses that mention the fear of the Lord suggest that that's not what he's saying. Look at these verses. For example, Psalm 119.12, the psalmist says, Because you fulfill your promise to me, I fear you. Or Psalm 130 verse 4, because you have forgiven me, therefore I fear you. The fear of God is not about being afraid of God. Rather, it's a kind of wholehearted recognition of him as our creator, as the only one who gives and preserves life, as the only one who can save and redeem us and therefore worthy of our highest love and dependency. Tim Keller writes, this kind of fear affirms you to the sky, but at the same time humbles you to dust. It turns you out of yourself. So Paul is emphasizing that at the root of sin, at the root of this turning away from God, is the lack of seeing God as he is supposed to be in our lives. And all of us, he says, are prone to this. 
Secondly, Paul wants his readers to know that if you don't fear God, if you have turned to other dependable others, you will place yourself under the power of sin. Verse 9, Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. Paul is saying that all other dependable others, all other persons and things that you have turned to and said, you are my father, you are my maker, you are my savior. Without you, I have no definition. Without you, I have no worth. All these other things will destroy your freedom. They will take away your worth and they will enslave you. Paul writes, they have together become worthless. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. The way of peace they do not know. The way of peace they do not know. And so there's a question for all of Paul's Jewish and Gentile readers and for us today. Whom or what is robbing you of peace? Whom or what have you placed at the center of your life that is enslaving you? Maybe it's beauty or love or romance, marriage, the idea of a perfect family, money, power, status, possessions, comfort, noble causes, ministry, career, other people, other people's opinions of you. Or maybe it's yourself. I know that for me, though, it's always been easy to talk about how I'm not able to save myself the reality is that most often than not, I've lived under the delusion that I'm the only one I can depend on to secure the happy life that I desire for myself. And so much of my life has been about controlling myself, the world around me, in order to achieve these longings and dreams. And looking back, I see many years where I have lived in absolute terror of losing control, of failing, of disappointing myself. And I see how the more I've tried to control myself in the effort to secure the life that I want, the more I depend on myself, the more I become increasingly less myself, increasingly boxed in, living an increasingly narrow, adventureless life, less creative, less courageous, less at peace, nothing ever being enough, always demanding more and more and more. Whiplash is a film that came out a few years ago. I don't know if many of you have seen this film. It has a stunning soundtrack and if you're ever looking for something to keep you pumped, when writing an essay, I highly recommend Justin Hurwitz's Overture. You can go on Spotify later and um, check that out. It gets me going. Um, but the film is about this young man, Andrew Neiman, and his pursuit of becoming the world's greatest jazz drummer. 
and it explores the brutal, sustained campaign of bullying, humiliation, and abuse, both psychological and physical, that Neiman, this young student, goes through in the hands of his musical instructor. And this musical instructor's name is Terence Fletcher. Fletcher operates with fear and intimidation, and we watch as this young boy, Neiman, compromises much of his humanity at the hands of this slave master that is Fletcher. And I remember seeing this film for the first time and thinking, I've never come across a character that so closely represents my inner voice than Terence Fletcher. It's funny, but it's also incredibly tragic. <laughs> the times when I have chosen to rely and depend on myself over God, I have ended up enslaving myself, robbing myself of freedom and flourishing. And I know that many in this room have and, and do struggle similarly. Paul is saying, this is not the life that God has for you. God has a full, joy-filled, love-filled, peace-filled adventure of a life for you. Don't depend on yourself. Don't be swept up by other dependable others. But it seems unclear what then is the solution. Our passage ends with Paul saying that though the works of the law make us aware and conscious of our sin, of our turning away from God, but they do not make us free from the power of sin. They do not make any of us righteous. So what then do we do? What is the solution? And there are two words here that carry enormous weight and shout and scream hope at us. God's sight. God's sight. We are in God's sight. Though we have turned away from him, though we don't seek him out, he has not turned away from us. He has always looked onto us and his gaze is a gaze of love. And this God who sees us is the dependable other who searches for us, who comes after us. From the time he searched for Adam in the garden until now, he seeks out for each and every one of us. Ezekiel 34 is this beautiful prophecy of the Lord declaring that he will search for his lost sheep. And we see this prophecy coming to beautiful fulfillment, stunning fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of Man who came to seek and save the lost. He is the dependable other who enters our world and make him, makes himself every bit as dependent as we are, dying and rising to save us, to heal us, to give us life in abundance. 
We don't have to worry about our own rescue. We don't have to worry about our own preservation. We can stop our striving and our searching. For to us who do not know peace, as Paul says, the risen Christ tells us, peace I leave you, leave you. my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Our Lord Jesus Christ has wholeness and rest to give us today. And he gives to us like no one and nothing else can. He gives freely and generously without needing anything from us in return. And he is for you and fully committed to seeing you become all the things that he has made you to be. You need only depend on him. Let's pray. As the psalmist says, your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies, your righteousness is like the highest mountains, your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals, how priceless is your unfailing love. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house and you give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. Father, please help us to see you more clearly as our highest love, as the object of our ultimate dependence. Thank you for coming after us. Thank you for searching after us, though we have searched for other things and other people. Lord, we give our hearts to you again this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.